Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. Today we're going to be talking about the same thing we always talk about. Movies and sports and other random stuff that we feel like talking about. I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. And we'll be talking today about The Matrix Reloaded. Alright, Fat Man, what's your first impressions? A very, very big departure from the first one. Okay, alright, so before we get too far down the rabbit hole on that one... Yeah, back to the first yeah, film okay. there, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I got you, that reference. <laughs> oh, you did, did you? Just remember, Dorothy, Kansas is going up your... <laughs> well, Kansas certainly went bye-bye in this one. <laughs> yes. So I want to start off with the with the, the the obvious and just right out of the bag awfulness that was the pleather. The characters or the actors just looked terrible in pleather, and they looked much better in the, the outfits they wore in the first movie. Pleather is awful; <laughs> doesn't look good. Well, on top of that, like, and specifically, I think you're talking about like Trinity's pleather outfit. Yes, it didn't even fit. <laughs> no, it did. It, it was like hanging. it was hanging off of her. And really, I have two questions to the filmmakers, costume department questions. Why? Right. She looked perfectly fine in the in the outfits that she wore in the first movie. And number two, as in, like, in the you know, in the movie world of the movie question. Why? Like, why would her residual self-image change between the first movie and that movie so much that she went from wearing a pretty decent, you know, shirt-pants combo to that terrible thing that she was wearing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It doesn't make sense from an in-the-movie perspective or from an out-of-the-movie perspective. Especially when you consider just about everybody else stayed the same. Neo's outfit's very different. I thought his his outfit was this kind of the same at the end of the first Matrix movie. You know, the trench coat slash robe. I mean, but in the uh, in the Reloaded, it's much more priestly looking. In fact, is exactly priestly looking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like priests wear that. <laughs> Which will help me being you have to remind me. This is another jumping off point for later about when we talk about Neo himself. But yes. Okay, so back to initial initial reactions, like now that we've had the pleather conversation. Well, I could say like my big thing where I was really thrown out in this movie was the obvious terrible romance in it, and particularly on how hard they tried to make this into a soft core pornography film. <laughs> Why Bruce? What whatever are you talking about? I did not notice anything like that in the movie. Well, the large one came at the front of the movie, which is usually different because you usually try to save, you know, the the money shot, if you will, for the end of the movie, (laughs) which was the orgy at the center of the earth. (laughs) You know, it was just like, so they're in church. I mean, this is the quote unquote temple. They're talking about the one Neo and it just devolves into this giant rave orgy at the center of the earth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of that, it kind of cuts to the awkward, you know, sex scene of, of Neo and Trinity, you know, that, and that's just at the fir- front of the movie. Then you go later into the whole thing with the Merovingian and all that nonsense, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the cheesecake. <laughs> Yes. All right. So let's let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind a little bit. We'll start from the beginning. So uh, this movie, we have a, a beginning scene that again begins with Trinity doing something that is inexplicable and we don't understand, and kicking a whole bunch of people's asses. Which that was fun from an action perspective. Uh, but I do have to say, from a we're timing. Uh, 
obviously some sort of infiltration going on. Really stupid, because the worst time to attack anywhere that's guarded by guards is during shift change, because if you attack people during shift change, you have both the oncoming and the offgoing shift present. (laughs) And so it doubles the number of asses that you have to kick. (laughs) It's just easier to show up like, I don't know, 10 minutes after shift change. Yeah, like at 4 o'clock in the morning instead of, say, you know, midnight. Because at 4 o'clock in the morning, the guy's already asleep. No one's showing up yet for another two hours. Yeah, and uh, nobody changes over shifts at midnight either. That was just dumb, too. I mean, granted, yeah, fantasy world, blah, blah, blah. No, sorry. Nobody does that. (laughs) It's just stupid. (laughs) People change over at like 6 in the... Between 6 and 8 in the morning, typically. Even people who work three shifts. Or, you know, the companies that have three shift rotations, they don't change over at midnight. It just... That's... No. And you're right, four o'clock is the morning. Four o'clock in the morning is the time to hit anything because the circadian rhythms always knock people out around that time period. So Well, actually what we've been learning in um in driving school is that typically the person is most likely to fall asleep at like seven in the morning and like between two and five in the afternoon, because that's when no matter what time of year, that's when the sun comes in and your body clock just starts to kind of kick in. So if you've been up all night and you see the sun, you're expecting to go to sleep and the sun comes up. Or like two and five in the afternoon as the sun's getting lower and you've been up all day, you know, from early morning, you're expecting to go to bed. Yeah. Either way, shift changeover at midnight, stupid. Attacking people during shift changeover, stupid. (laughs) At least that can be explained because, do you mind if I go ahead and jump ahead and spoil it? Yeah. No, go for it. We'll keep going. Which is that it was, it was a dream. Yes. And suddenly, you know, and it's, it's, it's the same way we transitioned from Trinidad to Neo in the first movie. Because you have Trinity in that room and Cypher ratted her out and she goes for running and she gets... And then, you know, then we see Neo uh, sleeping in front of his mo- his computer and the, the wake up Neo. But that part wasn't a dream. That part was real. Her trying to escape. Well, we, we eventually learn that the dream he's having is true anyway. So, spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> Why you're listening to a review cast and you don't expect spoilers? I don't know. Write us an angry email. Well, especially for a movie that's been out for, you know, what did we say, 15 years, 20 years? 20, 20 years. We're at the 20 year. Well, I guess we're not 20 years for this movie. We're 20 years for the first one. Yeah. So 20 years for this one would be next year, but still. So I, I want to I wanna caveat slightly the whole Neo and Trinity being all over each other when they get back to port or Zion basically. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain that because a lot of people don't understand that piece. They're like, I don't understand why they have to be all over each other when they're always talking about sex and da-da-da-da. I'm like, it's because on naval vessels, even for married couples, fraternization is not allowed. Yeah, but the only part I could fight on is I would think that, you know, that Morpheus isn't the traditional military guy and the fact that they had their own bunk, if you don't think they, were, they weren't bumping uglies when they could, I don't I don't know. I mean, unless, you know, Trinity or Neo could actually not keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't know because the one the one instance of that occurring in the movies, uh, there's a giant rave going on blocking all the noise out. Plus <laughs> <laughs> we were completely distracted by how awkward it was. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ultra awkward. So I I just want to throw that out there. I, and I, I kind of do catch the idea that on his ship Morpheus is kind of a 
hard ass, but you know, just want to caveat that out there. That doesn't really take away from the fact that the whole rest of all of the Zion stuff is pretty jack. You know, I think we all we all understand what they're trying to get to. That you know, Neo has an intense, personal, romantic, loving relationship with Trinity. Yeah, we get that. He didn't have to do it like that. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it, it was like for... Oh, okay, I've told it to you before off-program, but it was like the guys went to vacation in Europe, and they were like, you know what? I feel there's got to be a way for us to express how much strange German TV we saw while we were over there. <laughs> got it. We'll film this one scene that's super inappropriate in almost every way. <laughs> yeah. No, accurate. And and the sad part is I really like the music from that scene. But the rest of it's it's like it's like the music got spoiled by the movie. <laughs> Okay, okay, we got to back up a, l- a little bit again because the first scene after the dream is actually they're back in the Matrix, right? No, they're on the ship. They're on the Nebuchadnezzar. Right, right, no. I mean, after that, after he wakes up and they have the conversation, they go back into the Matrix. Really? Yeah, because they have the meeting, the meeting with all the captains oh, inside right. the Matrix. Right. You learn, that's that's the, kind of the first time you learn that this whole Neo thing is sort of a strange you know, its own strange religion. Like, it's not shared by everybody. It's not a collective belief like you sort of got in the first one. Granted, you only ever heard Morpheus talking about it, but again, you only ever heard Morpheus talking about it and everybody seemed to agree with him. So, the idea that uh, not everybody believes in Neo and 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 just the fact that things seem normal-ish. They seem like they still were almost the same as they were in the first movie, which is, uh, you know, how we ended the second or the last podcast, which was, you know, this movie is kind of a total and utter betrayal <laughs> of, that, of that ending because nothing seems different, right? Right. Like, Neo is supposed to be this super ultra-powerful being who can rewrite the Matrix as he goes, and he's still, you know, just walking around. You know, he has a fight with some agents, which is a cool fight scene. Don't get me wrong, but why is he fighting? Like, didn't he just, like, reach in and explode Agent Smith? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't reach it. He dove in. Yeah, he do- yeah, so he literally dove into Agent Smith and then exploded him from the inside out. Yeah, he didn't go all Temple of Doom on him. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool, though. Yeah, <laughs> Especially if he popped out his hand and started yelling, Kalima. <laughs> At least that would have been entertaining. <laughs> Kalima! Kali. Well, the first one was good. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> But see, it doesn't make sense that he's fighting these guys at all. You should just be like, eh, no, stop. I'm just going to rewrite your code and you're a daisy. Go along. Have fun. You're a bunch of skipping children now. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the fight scene, a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. But it doesn't make any sense within the setting of the world that we were given at the, especially at the end of the last episode. Right. You know, when you know that he can see the code and manipulate the code and do basically anything that he wanted. Yeah. It appears that all he does with that is, uh, I'm going to be slightly faster and stronger than everybody and fly. Right. (laughs) Talk about not meeting your potential. (laughs) (laughs) There were some plot points you were kind of like, what's the point? And a lot of the fight scenes, you're like, yeah, they're cool. They're entertaining. But again, this is not the material of the guy who's going to save the world. This is the material of a teenager who found out that he can do cool things. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like you look at Neo and you're like, man, you really Keanu Reeved this all up, didn't you? Which is funny because I don't know if, like, you know, if you've seen Keanu Reeves' other movies, that like Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves, you know? Yeah. No, he's, <laughs> he's pretty much Keanu Reeves in every movie he plays. Same guy. So we go into Zion and we go 
We have that awkward scene of awkwardness. We find out there's more tension in between the, the politicians and the military and that what's-his-name is actually in a minority position of believing in Neo. Oh, Morpheus. Yeah. Morpheus, yeah. Dio has that conversation with the uh, philosopher about the machines. Which philosopher? The One of the council. Actually, a couple oh, the of the councilmen. Council. Okay. Yeah. They're actually real life philosophers, if I remember right. Yeah. And then once again, the teenager like logic of, of Neo. Yes. Yeah. You know, these machines. What would happen if we shut them all down? We build new ones. Ah, uh, but we already have them. <laughs> yes. But could we live without these? You know, what's the difference? Well, we could shut them down and smash them. Yeah, but then... What do we do for water? Well, we could shut them down and smash them. <laughs> but, but how will we live? We could shut them down, down and, and smash them. Smash them. <laughs> I hit them with a rock. It was a big rock. <laughs> <laughs> that You know, I, I really, in my mind, I, I kind of separate this movie into two pieces. You have, like, the first... Uh, half of it, which is just awful. <laughs> you know, because after that, they go back out, and they go back into the Matrix, and that's where he goes and meets the Oracle. And that's sort of the transition piece between the awful and the not awful. Yeah. Except that it's, the, the meeting with the Oracle is followed by a just super awful scene <laughs> where he fights the Agent Smith. <laughs> All 10,000 of them. Yes. The fight, like, you know, the song, this is the song that never ends. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is the fight that they'll that never ends. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, 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 you get to the point almost from the beginning of like, why are you fighting this guy? Like, at all? Like, didn't you literally go into him, inside of him and blow him up? Just do that again. And even if you can't do that again, you know, end the fight. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah. When there's 5,000 of them, just go. You can fly. He can't. Which is another matter altogether. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that part, you know, the all the computer graphics they used in, in the first movie where I thought were really well done. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't tell. You know, they weren't cheesy feeling to me, even now, 20 years later, looking at it. But in this movie, that fight scene, several of the, the pieces of that fight scene were computer were completely computer animated. Like, both Smith and, and Neo. Right. And it's very obvious. And it's very terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, our computer animation is getting better, but there's still that sort of weirdness about computer animated people. Mm -hmm. Back then, it was just bad. So that, that fight scene, it's not a very fun fight scene. The music is not very good for it either. I mean, it's okay. It's in general, it's a very disappointing fight scene, which which you can contrast to the one that happened just before it when he fights uh, Seraph. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's a fun fight scene. Like, that's a lot of really nice... Kung Fu action going on and and really good music to it. It's well done. It doesn't make any sense from a logic perspective. You don't know if somebody until you fight them. Yeah, well, guess what? You haven't actually fight. fought in your minds in a simulation. <laughs> this isn't real in real life. You can literally read each other's code. Why do you have to fight? <laughs> But the fight itself was good. As an action as an action guy, I liked that, that fight a lot. And then I think the conversation with the Oracle was pretty good. It was, again, so, sort of stupid that she had to point out to Neo that there were programs running around everywhere. Mm -hmm. The birds were programs and, and you know, the sun, the sun was and everything. That should be pretty flippin' obvious to a guy who can literally read the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of like you have to take on the second conceit. Like the end of the first movie didn't happen. And Neo is still sort of just feeling things out and learning his abilities. More to the fact that time never passed, even though we're explained that it has. Yeah, or at least seems like it has. Because we're explained that, like, like, what it was, like six months or six weeks have passed, something like that? 
I really don't know. I don't know if it... I don't think anything like that shows up in the movie. It, it does. They mentioned about how many people that they have freed from the, the Matrix in the last... I think they said, like, six months or six weeks compared to the last six years or something like that. Yeah, I think it was six months. But they don't mention how long Neo's been out. They don't say if Neo's been out for that six months or not. Well, yeah, they would because they're saying he's the reason why. So, yeah, so that's an indication that it's been, like, six months, which should be a lot of time. <laughs> that's half a year, right? And especially if you're going through all the processes of freeing people from the Matrix. Yeah. So, that revelation, you know, honestly, it's more for the audience. It's not for Neo. But having it played to Neo, you now have to think, okay, Neo's just been a huge dumbass. <laughs> for a guy who spent a, a, a nascent amount of time first learning about the Matrix, like, you know, that there is the word, the Matrix, and two, trying to find Morpheus, you know, with his elite computer skills, that he still hasn't figured out how to deal with the fact that he can read the Matrix. Yeah, but, you know, if you if you buy that conceit where, you know, Neo is, is just not that far along, then I think after that scene, and really after the uh, Smith scene that follows that scene, because the Smith scene is just awful, super awful, at least the super awkward, awkward orgy sex scene in the, in the center of the earth had good music. <laughs> <laughs> the Smith scene doesn't even have good music. Well, I imagine in order to get people to go into a rave slash orgy planet of the earth, you have to have good music. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't really see a rave orgy going on to classical music. I just don't. I don't know. There's there's rule 34, Bruce. I don't think you want you want to invoke that rule. I'm unaware <laughs> of rule 34. I think it's 34, which it just states that everything ever imagined has been made into porn somewhere on the internet. <laughs> oh, wow. That that is not a contest for our fans. Do not try and prove us wrong. <laughs> Or at the very least, don't send us what you find. Yes. If you if you just want to leave a comment, then say, Rule 34, we'll understand what you mean. No links, no nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So after that scene, you've got the Merovingian scene. And like you said, yet another random, awkward sex thing that I really thought was massively out of place and didn't need to be in there. And I'll just say, I didn't get it. <laughs> The first time I watched the movie, it was it was in subsequent conversation with friends in which somebody pointed out to me what had just happened <laughs> in that scene that the Merovingian had written a code into that chocolate cake that did something to that girl, that poor girl. <laughs> had to explain to you. Yeah, I'm pretty dense. <laughs> So you have that that scene, which is another exposition on, was it, well, I guess it's the first exposition on causality, that there's no free will or free choice. I hate people when they talk like that. I really do. I mean, free will is, is pretty pretty simple to prove. <laughs> just, just punch anybody who says otherwise. Well, I would have pointed to Jurassic Park, but, you know. Yeah, yeah that works too. <laughs> All right, so Merovingian scene, you got much in there? Then, again, like I said, it was awkward what the rear engine was doing as far as the sex stuff. And it just, I mean, it was just kind of being jerked around. And once again, you saw the ineptness of Neo. And what made that that part more awkward was it seemed like Morpheus was almost trying to take a back seat, hoping that the presence of Neo would do something there, which didn't. I mean, it, it just seemed kind of inept. And then, yeah, you had, as far as action scenes that kept you in the movie, the fight scene in the mansion, yay. Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting one part. 
Trinity's bravado towards Neo kissing the woman. She's getting all pissed off about it. It's like, you know he doesn't love her. You know nothing's going to happen. Get through this so you can get to the next thing. Yeah, instead of pulling a gun on her. <laughs> to kill her. Right. <laughs> At least that scene changed into another action pack. Yeah, right. And pretty much from that point forward, I really enjoy this movie. Like, I've gotten to the point where I've accepted that, that Neo is something of a dumbass. I've just, you know, accepted that, and and he's just using his, you know, superpowers to act like he has superpowers. So it changed into a really, really fun fight scene in the mansion, which is really well choreographed and really well, I think, uh, special effect. I don't know how to put that. The stunt work was really well done. As you said, apparently they literally built a highway to use Oh yeah, no, after so after the mansion scene comes the highway scene, which is just phenomenal. I mean I think you're gonna have even even these days you're gonna have a hard time outside of say like the Bourne films finding a chase scene that, that lives up to the Matrix Reloaded scene. They surveyed uh, several cities about using their highway, you know, parts of their highway system to film these scenes. And they realized after a certain point, given the time constraints and what they needed to accomplish with these scenes, that they just couldn't do it. Uh, and so they just built their own highway in the middle of nowhere. And that's how they filmed uh, the chase scenes. And uh, they're very well expertly choreographed. All the stunts are so well done. So I really enjoyed that. Um, still, whenever I listen to that music and I'm driving in the car, a lot of times I find myself doing multiples of the speed limit. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to do 90? Well, I'm driving, so suck it up, everybody. (laughs) You know, I really enjoyed that scene. Granted, it's one of the the problems about uh, when you talk about action scenes is a lot of times there's not a lot you can talk about. I guess we could break down every move or every every fight, but the reality of it is, is, was it good or not? And I thought pretty much starting from the mansion fight all the way through to the end, you know, when they get away, you know, Neo rescues everybody. It was a it was a spot on scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the, the fight between Morpheus and the agent, I thought was really well done. Uh-huh. It's just like a slow progression, watching Morpheus slowly get his ass kicked. <laughs> Of course, then after that, you've got the whole key situation and getting into the door and then, you know, in the door, once we're in the door. Oh, you mean like in that building? Yeah, and then we meet the architect, right? Yeah, after some planning and some some plotting, you know, with the other captains and whatnot, because they had to come up with that plan. Yeah, because they had to take down the grid, basically, all around this building. You had to get in the room, and you only had a certain amount of time to get to the door. If you open the door before the grid's out, then the bomb goes off. Right. You know, it seen before that, all that stuff goes down is Neo talking to Trinity and telling her to stay out of the Matrix because of the dream that we saw at the very beginning and that haunts him through the sex scene. And then, you know, kind of the whole, why didn't you explain this kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So many movies are like, you know, you just explain the situation. Yeah, how come you didn't explain the details of the dream to Trinity if they were so real? Just tell her, if you do this in the Matrix, don't do this because then you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of that stuff was ended up being covered by other properties. Like part of the attack on the power plant was in a video game and part of the other stuff was part of the Animatrix stuff. And Well, like the meeting with the architect, that was like SNL skit plus I think like a scary movie. Oh my gosh, yes. The scary movie version was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so what did you think of the architect? I thought it was good. I thought he could have been more menacing. I mean, I really, I can't put my, my finger quite on it, but 
I thought he could have definitely been more menacing. Yeah, he didn't strike me. And, and honestly, I don't think that's what the character was built for. I mean, because he's standing there saying, I was using you so I can destroy the humans so I can go through all this over again. Yeah, but I think that sort of belies like the cold, calculating menace that the robots are supposed to have, right? Or the machines. I suppose, but I mean, like everywhere you turn into that movie, like, you know, the robots are programmed were just as humanizing as uh, the actual human. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all of them have some sort of um, human traits, even Smith. Yeah. Kind of a crazy human. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I just realized something. What? Agent Smith is the Barry from Archer. I don't know if I've watched enough Archer to get that reference. Oh, so Barry's like uh, another special agent from what would have been like another space, uh, spy agency, but Archer ends up accidentally like killing him, mm-hmm. and the Russians take his body and turn him into a Oh, cyborg. yeah! Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember him. He slowly goes crazy. Yes. obsessed with, you know, taking out Archer. Yep, I remember that. Those the Barry episodes are some of the best episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, conversation with the architect. You know, I I thought it was um I thought it was pretty well done. I thought they got you know they got to what they were trying to get to was that you know Neo basically had a decision between killing everybody in the Matrix or starting over, right. starting the Matrix over. But I I will say that it seemed it didn't seem as well done as it could have been. Right. And it's hard to put my finger on exactly why, but I just didn't I didn't get the feeling that his decision was as momentous as it was. Well, you know, because they had the fight, like, right in the same hallway as the door leading into the architect's room. Mm-hmm. And if the fight had been outside the room, and then he finds himself in the hallway, and it's a slow, drawn-out scene walking up to it with thematic music, that probably would have been more suspenseful. But what it was was he was hurrying into the door because the Smiths were coming at him. And so it just kind of got thrown, you were thrown into the room. Yeah, there wasn't any um, dramatic buildup. Right. You're right. It really lacked the cinematic dramatic buildup to what that room really represented to Neo. Mm-hmm. What that room represented to Neo, you know, what he thought it meant going into it, which was, you know, peace or, or freedom from the machines. And what it really represented was another level of control. Yeah, it just was not momentous enough. And I think you're right. I think there wasn't enough buildup to it. It wasn't dramatic enough of a reveal, I guess. Yeah. And especially when you consider you're meeting the core of the Matrix. Yeah, and, you know, the part of the crazy part was it had been hinted at earlier in some of the conversations with, like, the Merovingian or in the one with um, the, what's-her-name, the Oracle, where more or less it had been hinted at that there had been more than one one. Right. Like, that maybe this whole thing had happened more than once. And then the reveal to what that actually meant wasn't as big as it should have been. Right. And then you're left at the end of the film with kind of like a... Well, what the F just happened? Right. <laughs> you know? Okay, he made the one choice, which I guess was to save Trinity, but how was he ever going to not make that choice? And then you think back to the Oracle, and you're like, but she seems to have been nudging him in that direction, so what the F does that mean? Right. Which, you know, I guess is is a credit, because the, the movie's kind of pushing you towards the next movie. <laughs> it's like, hey, here's some questions you want, you're going to want to have answered by another movie. <laughs> Right, but yeah, there was there was you know I I don't I didn't dislike the architect scene. It just wasn't as awesome as it should have been. Right, and then you have Neo 
save Trinity, where he points out that, again, he can just willy-nilly manipulate the Matrix however he wants, so why was he fighting people in the first place? <laughs> and, and that leads into, and what really, I mean, so for when I first saw it, the dramatic part of the whole movie was at the very end, which shouldn't have come as a surprise because of what he did with Trinity. Oh, yeah, the end. Uh, you mean the part after he saves Trinity's life, back when they're back in the real world. Right. They get bombed by the squids, and they have to flee, and then the squids come after them. What was, what was it you called it? Oh, <laughs> the Matrix Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the Matrix. The Matrix. Neo gets Wi-Fi. <laughs> Neo gets Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's a good description. I like it. Yeah, and then he passes out because <laughs> he's a little bitch. <laughs> Because, again, he, he somehow can't handle his, his powers. And then you have the whole Smith outside the Matrix thing, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't really know how that works, but yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense and if you think that, you know, the guy was freed from the Matrix. So, therefore, he was created in the Matrix and, therefore, has is somewhat part cybernetic, so therefore, you know, one computer repl- or one program replaced another. Yeah, so that's that, and that was that was part of the problem I had with the whole this is the the second system of control was they talked about this piece of the source that was embedded within Neo. You know, what the hell does that mean exactly? How are you encoding this into you know? How are you encoding? something that's programmatic into a living human being that only sort of functions inside the machine world or inside the matrix, but then also somehow now functions outside the machine world. Right. And at the same token, how does that work with Agent Smith? How does he get programmatically written onto this guy's brain? Like, how does that work? <laughs> uh, you know, like the same way that Neo was born, with, and you know, when he still has the plugs on the outside, and there are parts of him that are just permanently cybernetic. It still doesn't make just a whole lot of sense. Like, we're already pushing a lot of I believe buttons here, and the biggest one is, is sort of glossed over in the first movie, where Morpheus talks about human beings, you know, the bioenergy of human beings combined with a form of cold fusion. And you're like, wait, hold up, time out. <laughs> <laughs> if they had cold fusion, why would they need anything? That's exactly right. They wouldn't need any other source. Like, uh, what what form of cold fusion are you needing? Human body heat. <laughs> well, remember, this was, you know, a late 90s, early 2000s, where, I mean, as far as science was concerned, we weren't all that worried about the energy crisis, so nobody knew anything about energy. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. It was the 90s. Nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Clinton was in charge. Everybody was doing crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that was kind of, eh, okay, well, eh, whatever, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, then you have the movie in on a cliffhanger, which a lot of people really hated, I think, because they were like, well, it's not a full movie then. It has to have a second movie. And I'm like, they were pretty upfront about the fact there was going to be a third movie. Right. <laughs> Nobody was hiding that fact. <laughs> like we kind of said at the uh, the beginning, it was a far departure from the first movie. It was definitely the worst of the three. And when we talk about the third, we'll explain why. Yeah, definitely, definitely a far departure. Basically betrayal of the end of the first one. But a lot of fun, uh, especially the second half of the movie, from an action and uh, music and choreography perspective. All right, this has been uh, Pat and the Fat Man. I'm the Fat Man, Bruce. And I'm Pat. Have a good day. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time. Stay classy.